Have you ever had the luxury of borrowing your teenage daughter's car? Ugh. You sit down, there's 47 feathers hanging from the rearview mirror. Bed, bath, and beyond puked all over the floor. <laughs> Driving down the road, people are staring at you, honking, laughing, making fun. You don't look around, and then it dawns on you, you have a bumper sticker that says, Daddy's girl. Welcome to the Laugh All Night Green Room. I'm your host, Tim DeTellis, and on today's episode, we welcome to the Green Room comedian, David Dean. David Dean comes from Huntington, Indiana, but has traveled the country on the Laugh All Night Tour, and you're going to enjoy hearing some behind-the-scenes stories of this man who's been on a mission to make people laugh, but also make a difference. Let's enjoy this time with David Dean in the Green Room. Great to have comedian David Dean in the green room with us today. David, how are you? I'm well, Tim. Thanks for allowing me to be on your show. You know, David, I've been thinking about you lately because I've been kind of getting hungry at night. And I open up your social media feed and I see you on the grill. What have you been doing out there lately? Experimenting. It's just, I've been grilling for years, but just the last year or two, I've been smoking food. I've got one of those caveman smokers. It's just charcoal and wood. And you have to, yeah, I got to babysit it like a toddler. I've got a buddy who has a Traeger grill and it has an app on his phone. He sets up the wood pellets and he puts the meat on there. He adjusts the temperature and then he walks away for hours and does it on an app. I like that. I just, I like the purity of watching that wood and throwing wood in there and using cherry wood or apple wood or mesquite just to create different flavors. And so it's, it's been a experiment in progress. No, this is good because, you know, when we're in the green room, oftentimes you show up for an event and you're kind of like hunting down some peanuts or some pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> but if we could if we could only have barbecue at the, the Laugh All Night Comedy Tour, that would be crazy. If you were to name your own barbecue brand, what would it be? So I'm from Indiana and we are considered Hoosiers. What that is, I don't know. If you can Google it and find out what it means, I've lived here most of my, I don't know. I would call it Hoosier Peppy. Who's your daddy? <laughs> but I'm going to go with who's your peppy barbecue. Who's your peppy barbecue? Okay, who, who who's your peppy? <laughs> okay, Hooser is the official, uh, let's see, for a resident of the U.S. state of Indiana. The origin of the term remains a matter of debate within the state. But Hooser was in general use by the 1840s, having been popularized by Richard, resident John Finley's 1833 poem, The Hoosier's Nest. Have hmm. you heard of that? I'm not. Well, now we have a new brand for David Dean. It's the Poppy, Popeye's. Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, David, I know that you come from a, an amazing home with an amazing bride named Betsy, and you have two amazing kids that are grown and doing well. But, you know, you've been in this industry of comedy for a long time. How did you get your start? Uh, my family told me I was funny. Like a mom or a dad or a sister? Growing up, my, my parents were very funny people. They they were kind of hippies, you know. They they got married shortly after high school. Not really hippie in the, in the sense of, you know, they packed up and we lived like vagabonds and gypsies. But they were kind of counterculture. And dad was a, a middle school teacher. He has his master's, uh, taught middle school for 30 years. Mom was kind of a stay-at-home mom and yet found some work in town, but uh, yeah, a lot of laughter. 
I would come home and tell stories about my teachers and things that happened in class. And so the living room kind of became a, um, my, my workshop, everything but a microphone. But they, they all sat on the couch and, and listened. And I always felt like open mic night in my house. Do you remember maybe something funny that your dad or your mom said? My dad, it was pretty common for him before he would go. My dad had the ability to kick his underwear off onto his foot into the air and land on his head, and then he'd make a grand entrance into the bathroom. If uh, a Travelocity gnome in Santa Claus had a child, it would be my dad. Just the visual of watching him flip his underwear up into the air, <laughs> land on his head and do one of those, ta-da, and then off he went. <laughs> it's seared into my mind, as a matter of fact. <laughs> For a lot of years, my friends would say, we honestly thought your dad's name was Pull My Finger because that was how he greeted all my friends. And uh, <laughs> that's a skill set right there. I did something special for my dad this past year for his birthday. I took him to a professional football game with the promise I was going to take him onto the field. We're going to unfurl the flag on the field, the American flag. We get to the game a little late. We miss the instructions. And the woman says, just walk onto the field. My dad's like, what do we do? I said, I don't know. 50 people on this side of the flag, they hold it. 50 people on this side of the flag, they do And they're supposed to run out onto the field. And a woman comes up, and my dad and her are on the, the side that you're supposed to run. And she says, sprint. And my dad says, what? Sprint. My dad says, stint? No, your heart's fine. Sprint. I can't sprint. If you know my dad, he's like four foot. He's like this old hairy hobbit. Just, where's the ring? The last time I saw my dad run was 1978 at the grand opening of a golden corral. He doesn't sprint at all. Sprint. I take off running as fast as I possibly can. I get across the field with the other people. We look. We're supposed to shake the flag like this. I don't see my dad anywhere. He's gone. He's under the flag running as fast as he possibly can. <laughs> Land of the free and the home of the brave. I made it! Let's just dive in for a second uh, from a sports perspective. Talk to us about baseball, David. We're diehard Chicago Cub fans, and we won the World Series. And when I say we, it feels like I was on the team. We, when you love your team and they're doing well, it's always we. But when they stink, oh, those Cubs. How many days did you cry after they won? Oh, days, yeah. Yeah, a good friend of mine who's sitting on some change, which I'm not, um, after the Cubs clinched that spot in the World Series, he sent Dad, myself, and Alex, uh, like a three-generation thing, to the uh, game one of the World Series in Cleveland, and uh, they which they proceeded to lose. But the fact that we could say that we get to go to the World Series to see the Cubs in our lifetime play in the World Series, I mean, it was... Mm. One of the great dad-son moments, I think, probably of my life. When it comes to your comedy writing, has there been some kind of favorite writing routine or technique or the David Dean special sauce of comedy? That is a great question. I keep a pad of paper and a pen near me almost at all times. If I don't, I also have an app on my phone where I can write things. I hear a phrase or I hear a word in public or I hear a, a, a dialogue and... Sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it needs to be spiced up. So if you try to recall to an audience what you heard verbatim, oftentimes it's not funny. Okay. You put your own DNA into that joke and you add spice, as you said. You can have some fun with it. You try to write something two to three things a day, two to three bits, jokes, and then you hone it. You're a communicator. You understand this, that less is best. Communicate a ton with as very few words as possible. 
you said you have a memo pad near you, you're logging. Um, is there something that you're looking for or trying to tune into? A connection. You start a story or a bit, and you can tell within the first few seconds if the audience is looking at you and they're nodding like, yeah, you're, you're talking about me. That's what I do. Or when I do couples humor and begin kind of riffing on what wives and husbands and how they interact and what they do and their idiosyncrasies, you watch the audience and if they're looking at each other, they're nodding, you're getting this vibe like, okay, they're on to this. I love relatable comedy. And I, I love to hear after a show, people come up and say, man, you're, you're talking about us. Right. I've done that. So I'm, I think to myself, okay, there, there was a connection there. You know, when you hold a, when you hold a mirror up to men, we can, we can be a little sensitive. We don't want the world laughing at us. We want them laughing with us. And so on stage, it's fun to hold up that mirror and say, here's what men tend to do. And we reluctantly laugh because we're like, okay, you called us out. That does happen. How many of you have weird people in your family? How many of you are the weird person in your family? <laughs> Who's raising teenage boys here tonight? Did you hear those parents? Oh. You ever heard the phrase, I love you to death? That stems from raising teenage boys. It means you love them so incredibly much, but there's a time or two when you're standing behind them at the top of the stairs and you think to yourself, <laughs> Now you know how I feel! So when you're sitting in the green room, what's kind of happening inside you before you step out on the stage? Honestly, about 15 minutes before showtime, I'm sitting in the green room <clears throat> at a desk or a couch, and the adrenaline, it, it really is a comedy drug. My mind races. I think to myself, we had such a great trip, such a great day. I forgot I was doing a show tonight. And then you kind of go in work mode, and you, you go over some last-minute notes and some bits that you want to add. I'm a bucket of nerves. It's, it's, it's maddening. And for you as a, as a comedian, as a performer, how do you overcome that? I mean, what, what transitions you from this, call it adrenaline rush state to a, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable and maybe even confident on the stage? Honestly, I walk up to the microphone in my mind. I'm thinking, you don't belong here. You're the worst comedian in the world. Tonight is going to bomb. I have all this doubt in my head. I have all these terrible thoughts and insecurities. And then you hear that first laugh and your, your nerves calm just a bit. And you feel like, hey, somebody just took a cup of gasoline and threw it on that fire. Let's keep this thing burning. When you walk off the stage, it's like your, your mind just did a, a triathlon. It's such a mental workout. It's a lot like grilling, right? You, you, <laughs> you put the, No, it is. You put the meat on the grill and you kind of know what you're doing, but you don't know how it's going to taste. And then when the audience tastes it and they give you feedback, you kind of go, oh my gosh, it's working. That's a great analogy. I, I love to experiment on, on the grill or the smoker. And, and when people take a bite, I've had times where they just their shoulders just drop, their eyes close, they savor that taste, and they're like, oh my word, amazing. I've had events where people ate half of it and didn't make eye contact with me. Sometimes I, I notice for audiences and their world is spinning and we're trying to help them focus on something that's going to maybe relieve the pain or even bring them a sense of joy and laughter. And you have to kind of cut through the fog of all that. No, you do. You have to have social cues. You have to, I'm kind of like an adaptability comedian. 
So you go to see a comic that has a household name and you know what you're going to get. Most of the time, unless they go to YouTube or find me on a, a channel or streaming somewhere, they're not sure who David Dean is. So I, I do have to kind of create this little, this dating, like, hey, we're going to get to know each other here the first few minutes and, and let them know it's, it's going to be good. This is going to be relaxing. You're going to enjoy yourself. I gently do bits that are kind of safe and friendly that, that I know are going to work. And then once I have them, you know, in my boat, we can take off. I know you can't tell just by looking at me, but I'm a member of a gym. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to be funny, but thanks for the affirmation. I appreciate <laughs> I have a membership. I don't really attend, but I do have a card. I... Is it me or just is the gym is the worst place in the world? People are angry there. You ever watch faces walking into a gym? They got iPods are ticked off, kicking the ground. I'm going to go work out for an hour. I'm going to lift weights for an hour. Pump iron. You don't see faces like that walking into Texas Roadhouse, do you? <laughs> Piggyback ride, balloon animals. <laughs> and the trainers have no sense of humor whatsoever. When you try to be funny with the trainer, it's like you're offending them. I'm in the middle of a work and I said to my trainer, well, isn't it funny that the word exercise sounds exactly like extra fries? No, it doesn't. I say, yes, it does. You're like, shut up and do some burpees. I said, burpee. <laughs> That's what you do after you eat extra fries. You <laughs> When it comes to your content, David, is there a favorite type of audience you enjoy performing for? This sounds like I'm kissing up to Laugh All Night, but your Laugh All Night events. We try to explain to the, to the crowd, my material is probably sixth grade student and up. You've got toddlers and little ones. They're, they're probably going to be bored. This is middle school and up that parents are going to enjoy, teens are going to enjoy, but that family crowd, that's a nice setting. That's my wheelhouse. I, I feel comfortable there. Over the years of your comedy, but over the journey, have there been any mistakes or lessons that maybe have journeyed through that have made you kind of tweak your craft and made you better? Yes and yes. How long have you been on the road? Tell us. Come on. Well, we got married in 1988, and I know that I was in, I was doing clubs in Second City and a lot of private events and private shows. And so, and I was not doing anything else. It, it kept me busy 30, 30 plus years of doing it full time. And I, I continue to learn. That's the beauty of stand up comedy is that it humbles you. Anytime a comedian says to you, Tim, hey, I hit a home run last night, I just killed. I, I think they're lying. Rarely do you have lightning in a bottle. But if I can go hit a double or a triple for the crowd, I at least need to hit third base a couple times in, in a one-hour show. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld used to say that when you tell a story or a joke and you have to wait for the laughter to subside before you can either finish the joke or start the next joke, if that happens three times in a show, you're doing well. Where you just stand back and wait 10 to 15 seconds for the laughter to subside. It's a beautiful experience when it occurs. It's just magical. Well, that's kind of like people saying, I can't stop eating your barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my fear when I'm on stage. I, I, I heard a guy say years ago, walk off the stage with the crowd wanting more. And that, that's always been in my head. I, I've been to shows where they went an hour 20, hour and a half. It's time to wrap it up. So was there anything that made you better over these years? Because you, you come from some tremendous experience and background. When I first started doing stand-up in 88, you know, I was 23. I was getting hired to do 
a lot of clubs, a lot of private events. And honestly, I, I really wasn't that good. I was I was still cutting my teeth. I tell you where I really thrived when I was in my mid late twenties, even early thirties, where I did tons and tons of camps across America, summer camps, winter retreats, denominational conventions for teens. There was a stage of about fifteen years, literally fifteen years, where I had a forty minute routine that was designed strictly for kids, teenagers, high school, even even a little bit into college. I did some college chapels, but my strength where I was really starting to flex my, my comedy muscle, there was that, that 15 year period where I just, I just did camps and conferences across the country, bringing humor and yet spiritual content and wisdom. And every once in a while I would do a, a banquet for adults. I just, I wasn't, my material wasn't cut out for them. I still got bookings, but I think for the fact that people knew me, they knew my heart, I wasn't going to burn their event. I mean, I look at the guys now who are traveling and touring, and they're they're not even 30, and they're killing it. They have Netflix specials and comedy specials on Comedy Central. I'm just amazed. I'm like, wow, that is... <laughs> you took some leaps and bounds in your career, and you're not even 30. And I'm just now starting to feel at 55, like, okay, I could, I could work just about any crowd. But I will say... Even now, again, comedy, it humbles you. I, I could not get in front of a group of middle school students. I, I would not be comfortable doing humor for middle school students. It's just, it's just not there anymore. You know, when your wife texts you something and you're not sure if she's being funny or if she's being serious, you, know, you, you read the text and go, is she being serious? Is she sarcastic? Uh, she sends me a text not long ago and she says, what does IDK mean? I responded in capital letters, I don't know. <laughs> she replies, thanks anyways, I'll ask somebody else. When it, when it comes to travel and being away from family, you've always been able to stay connected. I notice a lot of times in the green room, you're texting Betsy or you're calling one of your kids. What is it with you and your family? You have a, an amazing connection with them. Well, you and I both have unusual jobs. Not not every kid has a dad that runs a a mission organization or a dad who's a who's a comic. So as unusual as that may be to the world, our kids, your kids, they they grew up in this world, this life, and it became status quo. We see our dad a lot during the week after school and school events at night and science fair, but Come Friday, dad's packing a suitcase and he'll probably be home Sunday night or Monday morning. That's probably the hardest part about the road when you and I and our kids were younger is is the separation. And in those early days, <laughs> you're looking for a payphone and a stack of quarters to connect with your family. It wasn't easy. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay the cost anymore, do they? They don't want to. The only thing that's an overnight success is leftover pizza. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> David, I, I want to ask you three questions. I'll ask all three at once, and then we'll go back to each of them. But uh, what is your favorite candy or snack? Uh, what is your favorite destination in the USA and your favorite amusement park ride? So let's kick it off with uh, your – I have an idea what this may be, but you may surprise me. Uh, your favorite candy or snack? Oh, I think you know because you have sent me these little giblets of joy – by the box loaded. I'm talking about good and plenty, which by the way, that'd be a great title for this, this interview the good and plenty with David <laughs> Dean. <laughs> I'll be plenty. If you'll be good. And I, I'm not sure what it is. It's, it was a snack as a kid 
and you and I have been on the road. You've come out of a restroom, a rest stop, a grocery store. You plop down in the driver's seat. You look at me and smile and hand me two boxes of good and plenty. Or you've picked me up at the airport with boxes of good and plenty in the side part panel of the door. Well, it's it's definitely one of those, I think for you in the green room, it is definitely one of those perfect warm me up snacks. Oh, joy, pure joy. So then your favorite destination in the USA, what would that be? Uh, I think because I met my wife in Chicago on a blind date and I went through Second City and worked the clubs and had the chance to work a couple youth conferences at Moody Bible uh, right there in Old Town. Uh, the love for the Chicago Cubs, Bears, Bulls, the sports, the, the food, the, the deep dish, Giordano's pizza. Our family used to go there a lot when we were kids. It's only two and a half hours from where we live right now. So as far as food and culture and music and atmosphere, I love New Orleans. But yeah, Chicago has etched out a pretty special place in, in our hearts. Now, when you go to Chicago, is there a favorite food? There's some incredible Mexican restaurants, Latin restaurants that are, and you want to go to the ones that are off the beaten path. You don't, you don't want the big marquee chain. You want to hit one of those side streets there on the west side of the city. You know, it's like my dad always used to say growing up, you'd find that restaurant where all the cars were parked. Nobody, nobody will tell you go eat there because it's a local joint. But those are the best restaurants where you see all the trucks and the cars and we had this great debate with people from New York on the best pizza. You know, Chicago, New York, deep dish, flat, crust, whatever. It's it's a it's a long-standing debate. Gotta love your pizza from Chicago. Lou Melnati's. Oh, it's the best pizza out there right there now. Who owns a Bluetooth? Anybody own a Bluetooth? Get rid of that. That's of the devil. <laughs> Got a man walking at you talking. I think you're talking to me. I'm going to give you a bear hug. I don't know that you got a device in your head. Should be something that pops out the other ear that says, I'm not talking to you, keep walking. <laughs> I'm in the Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport. I'm in the bathroom. I'm the only guy in there. From the end of this bathroom, I hear someone say in the, in the stall, well, I think I'm going to need some help. I gave that about another 30 seconds. He said it again. I do. I think I'm going to need some help. So I did the Christian thing. Found his feet. A little slit in the door. What do you need help with? I need for you to back up. I went back in for seconds. I said, are you on the Bluetooth? He said, and the toilet. I'm going to call the police. Get back. So now your favorite amusement park or ride, what would it be, David? It's in your backyard, Universal Studios. Okay. Spider-Man. Really? What do you like about it? I had low expectations when we... We took the kids to Florida one year for spring break, which is an annual rite of passage if you're north of Tennessee. Alex was maybe eighth grade. Hannah was fifth grade. And we get the passes to go to Universal. Stood in line for it for an hour, like every family does <laughs> in the sweltering heat. And it was like you're in a box with like 10 to 12 other people. Spider-Man is talking to you inside the box. And it's, it's, it's air conditioned. And 
it's able to to create this feeling that you've, you're going to the top of a building. So you feel like the box go up when in reality, people outside are watching. It's not moving, but you feel like you're being lifted to the top of this building. And then you see Spider-Man go after one of the, the villains, the evil villains, and the, the box is rocking. You're teetering off the edge of the building. Whoa! And when it goes on for about two to three minutes, but it's a pure, it's a pure thrill ride. And when it comes back down, Spider-Man's looking up at you. He's kind of, hey, thanks for helping me out. I'm glad I saved him. And everybody in the box cheered like they like a standing ovation. It was like, I, I can't wait to get out there and just, and I'm going to ride it again. We, we rode that thing over and over and over. You know, it's like a great sermon. You don't remember everything the pastor said, but you remember walking out of the church going, my heart feels great. Even years later, I don't remember verbatim, even the verse the guy used. But the time we visited that church, that sermon was so incredibly, people remember how they felt. And that's mm. that's probably what I recall the most is just how we felt when we walked out of that Spider-Man ride, elated. I mean, the, the endorphins were like <laughs> jumping out of our ears and we're high-fiving and going, that was fantastic, let's do it again. Well, David, I love being on the road with you and thankful that you're a part of the Laugh All Night Tour and continuing to bring clean comedy to families and all ages. And man, you're a hilarious friend. I have to tell you, I just want to hang out with you at the grill next time. Oh, we need to do a laugh all night where we we have the green room loaded with right outside the door would be a, a grill or a smoker. Every church has them, right? Oh, to attract a crowd. I don't want anybody else, just you and I and maybe a couple of buddies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd love it. So it now tell me tell me your barbecue brand name again. Hoosier. H O O S I E R. Pappy. That's why I call my dad. P A P P Y. Pappy. Pappy, what are you doing? What's going on? He's usually sleeping or walking around in his underwear. Pappy, what are you doing? Wake up. Well, so we welcome you to join us on a Laugh All Night Tour brought to you by <laughs> Who's your Pappy Barbecue. Who's your Pappy Barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, David. I do too. It's a great idea. I love it. Well, thanks for hanging out in the green room today. It's been a blast. Tim, I've been looking forward to doing this for quite some time. I've caught your podcast before and uh, I love interacting with you. You have great questions. You have great insight and it's fun to do this with you. And I look forward to hanging more with you and smelling like barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) One for the armpits as well. Thanks for listening to the Laugh All Night Green Room. I'm your host, Tim DeTellis, and stay tuned for future episodes with comedians that are on tour with Laugh All Night, coming to a city near you. For upcoming shows and events, visit laughallnight.com and follow us at Laugh All Night on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we will keep the comedy coming your way.